Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hi, my name is Olivia Young, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, this is Bob Clark. Hey, you're listening to Snow the goalie. 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 Oh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast, PD Light Podcast, Pampers Podcast, the only Flyers podcast. And, well, a podcast that it's down to two of us right now. No Ant San Philly. He's supposed to be here at some point today. But I don't know. Was he fired? Was he let go? like Elaine Vigneault. We'll find out here in a little bit. Uh, but first, I want to introduce to all of you the lovely Chris Terrian. Bundy, find him on Twitter, at Terrian 6 How you doing, fella? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you doing? It's been a very quiet week, right? <laughs> very quiet. Nothing has happened Flyers. in Flyers land. Uh, well, nothing of the winning varieties happened, but of course, uh, we, we have to right off the top lead. And I know that I didn't change the intro and I'm sure there are people who are going to make fun of the fact that I still have, hi, this is Elaine Vigneault, coach of the Flyers. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. Like, great. <laughs> I, felt, I felt like we right, owe him, right. you know, we owe him one more uh, sign off before we remove him from the, uh, the intro. But a week after Flyers GM Chuck Fletcher meets with the media and gives a vote of confidence to the coaching staff, the Flyers fire Elaine Vigneault and Michelle Terrian, the guy who ran the power play, who once again, the GM defended, saying that it was more of a personnel issue than a coaching issue less than a week before. Bundy, uh, are, are you surprised that the Flyers moved on from Elaine Vigneault and Michelle Terrian in the way they did, and especially as quickly as they did after uh, Fletcher met with the media? You know, there's a whole bunch of things that I think go into a coaching coach firing Russ. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sure it crept into Chuck's mind even earlier than, than when the actual firing happened. But he did give him a vote of confidence. Both him and Alain Vigneault, uh, you know, I thought both challenged the players. If you want to use the word challenge, I think AV kind of uh, really took it to task. Like guys can't make plays or not making plays. Guys that we've relied on before, they're not getting it done type of, you know, that type of language that you hear after a, ba- a loss. But I guess the seven, like that game Sunday night, there's there's always a few games in the year for any team where you look at a game and you're like, man, that was just a rough one. But the circumstances couldn't have been as dire as they were for the team, sitting with three days off, waiting for the two-time Stanley Cup champion to come into your building that played the night before, mm-hmm. and you get thumped 7-1. I mean, and then, and then you know, after the firing – you know, you go, it goes back to uh, the next night where they got another touchdown uh, and an extra point kicked on them uh, and back-to-back home games, 14 goals against in two home games against a Colorado team that's been struggling mightily. Now, I know, you know, I know there's, there's, you know, McKinnon's back in the lineup and McCarr was on another planet the other night, but 
At the same time, uh, again, if your level of compete is high, if you've got yourself really uh, integrated in a mindset that you want to go out and win hockey games and really battle, uh, you're going to be in those games. Um, and they weren't. And, and so, again, you know, the easy thing then after was Chuck say, I didn't like what I saw in a 7-1 drubbing. So I decided that night to fire the coach, whether it was him or, you know, a myriad of voices that were echoing through that night uh, that he had to make a change. But clearly, by the way it went down, he was not prepared for a coaching change. Um, he brought in, uh, you know, he, he just uh, relegated the job to Mike Yo. Uh, which tells me that he had absolutely contacted nobody in the prior days uh, looking in the coaches. So uh, this was clearly either he, he did it and really felt that bad that it's time we need to make a change, which I, after that, I mean, what else are you going to do? It goes back to the adage, Russ, you can't fire 20 players. So what can you do? You can fire the two coaches uh, and pay them an awful lot of money to go away. I mean, as much money as you could possibly find uh, and have to pay an outgoing coach. The Flyers just did that. And so I, I look at the timeline of things and I've been long concerned about what this team looks like in terms of if and when a coaching change happens, who gets brought in? Do they make an immediate hire? Have they already put feelers out to a number of different potential candidates? And then I think about, the, the timing, and I, I go back to something that Ant wrote, um, I think it was on Tuesday, and he kind of pulled back a, a layer on the timeline here. And he said, according to a team source, Flyers chairman Dave Scott told Fletcher the time was Monday morning after a 7-1 debacle against Tampa on home ice Sunday. Now, I, I want to kind of approach this from a, a few different ways, right? I, I don't like meddling owners. I never have. I think meddling owners is where you really start to get into a position where you're not trusting the people that you've hired to run the operation. There have been rumors as of late that Jeffrey Lurie has gotten more involved on the Eagles side of things. And he's got his ultimate yes man, Howie Roseman. They're doing a terrible job drafting. Fine. You have Jerry Jones in the NFL who consistently meddles and is his team's GM. He's he's a GM. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so that's so the I, ultimate I meddling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I look at this and, and I know that for a long time, the thought was that Ed Snyder really had input. Ed Snyder could give an, an edict, like go out and get this player, get the best player available at this position. That's how you end up with Billy Brisgala. But when you hire a lifer like Chuck Fletcher to be the GM, who I said at the time was not an imaginative, an imaginative hire. It wasn't a creative hire. It was kind of a recycled hire. And when you hire a coach like Elaine Vigneault, who has a long track record, has built up cloud as a coach in this league, you don't have a lot of flexibility. Like if it doesn't work, I don't know where you go next. You, you tried with Hextall and Hackstall to go a little bit out of the box. And then you, you reined it back in. I don't understand conceptually how, if you're Dave Scott, you say, all right, this drubbing was, was one too many. Now we have to get rid of this coach, but you kept the GM. Like, do, do you see logic in why you would keep one over the other instead of just either holding off and firing both at the end of the year? Like, why, why should people believe that Chuck Fletcher deserves the chance to hire another coach? Like, let's start well, I, there. I, 
first of all, I don't know the relationship Chuck has with Dave. It's obviously a special one. I mean, seriously, he's been here a few years. You know, when Hextall was relieved, it kind of, you know, Dave was here after Luco. So he had a little bit of time, but not a lot. So when I think when you break, break it down, probably that relationship, you know, he probably doesn't really know anything else except for the guys like we're here before, like Paul Holmgren and Bob Clark, who, uh, you know, many people wonder what role they have in the organization, if they still have a voice at all. I know Clark, he's in there. He's been a mentor uh, for many years to Chuck Fletcher, but you know, why there wasn't an overhaul, I don't know. I mean, but again, you know, when you make these decisions, you know, here's another issue when you, when you do these kind of things, you know, you have to go to the president of the hockey club, right. To, to, if you're the owner to go to the president and say, listen, we're going to make a wholesale change. And then that trickles down to the, you know, for that president to say, okay, yeah, you know what, you're, you're right. Or, or we discuss it. And then you make your, you make your free phone calls to other candidates. It sometimes takes a few days, you know, like get your ducks in a row, uh, including your coaches, but, you know, in terms of where this was at, this was just a, a removal of a coach. There was no thought thought out process about bringing in any kind of new coach. That was, it clearly was never discussed or Mike Yo wouldn't have been sitting on the bench Monday night, you know, as the, as the new flyer, by the way, that doesn't change anything. You know, you fired the two coaches, but he was still one of the three guys. So for me, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we had a bizarre situation. I'm just going back one year playing. We had Wayne Cashman as, as our head coach. I loved Wayne Cashman. That guy was as old school as they came. I mean, it was, you know, get to the front of the net, clear the front of the net. If you're a forward, get to the front, you know, uh, and he was a, just an, like an old legend and every guy loved him, but he wasn't a head coach at the time. Right. And, and everybody kind of knew that. So a decision was made. Uh, and I think the players had heard about it. This is, I think what 90, 97, 98, that season. And uh, so, you know, Clark, he made some moves and during the game, Roger Nielsen had came into town and, and, and Wayne Cashman wasn't even aware of what had happened. He'd got been fired essentially during coaching a Sunday night game. Roger came over and then, and then um, uh, Cash went back to become assistant coach, which he was great at. Like he loved doing that working with guys. He just wasn't a head coach, but these things, as I said, they take time. Uh, there's a lot of planning involved and um I just don't think that I really do think that either he got Chuck got marching orders, get rid of him, or he really did indeed, uh, you know, say to himself, we can't go another game like this. Uh, but I, I, I actually in agreement that I think that as a GM, uh, I would have just let him get through that Monday night game too, instead of putting a new coach behind the bench for that debacle, I just would have let it ride out. Um, and then taken uh, the next day or so, or started making my calls Monday, yeah. start investigating what kind of a budget do I have to work with? You know, what am I allowed to hire? The problem is they just fired $12.5 million. Uh, yeah. That doesn't account for the alumni. That doesn't go to the alumni uh, group, uh, Kitty, that they fired the alumni, that we're not nowhere near that kind of payoff for us. But yeah. you know what? That's a lot of money. So I also think there's a business, a fiscal business part of this where somebody said, you're, you can't go get another three or $5 million coach because we're not paying them that. So I think whoever the Flyers coach is going to be for the next two and a half years, uh, it's going to be a low budget coach because of the money that they're paying AV. I'm just being serious. I'm telling no, you I know. That. Cause they, I mean, they're that canning $70,000 alumni and people that have been there for 54 years, I can assure you uh, money is of the premium right now. And they're trying to run it like a business. Which is just absolutely wild, right? Like, if there is a team in this league that shouldn't have to pinch pennies, if there is a, a team in the league that you shouldn't have to worry is going to be willing to go out and, and spend the money on quality in terms of front office or coaching, it should be the one that's owned by Comcast. Like, who are we kidding? 
This isn't some small family run business. This isn't some small uh, small market company that just happened to put together a, an ownership bid and, and, and it's more or less like owned by the people. Like, it's not that. Like, what are we doing here? You know, like if, if you're supposed to believe that Dave Scott and company genuinely care about the flyers or genuinely care about upholding some kind of images, like one of the best franchises or one of the most meaningful franchises in the NHL, then what are we talking about? Like you go out and you spend the money for the coach, right? So like, I don't think John Tortorella is a fit here. I, I think that if, if players were disaffected by the way that uh, Elaine Vigneault treated them, I don't see any scenario in which Tortorella is successful here. I just don't like he'll, he'll burn every bridge in town. And I don't think it's a bad thing, by the way, like if, if accountability is the thing that this group needs, then sure. But then Chuck Fletcher has got to be committed to really completing an overhaul. It can't just be tertiary moves and, and moves along the, the edges. This has to be like a fundamental change in, Who's the core leadership of this team and who are the guys that we're building around for the next five or six years? It can't just continue to be trading out small pieces here or there. Like there, there has to be a meaningful change. And again, like, I don't know if Chuck Fletcher is the guy who should be overseeing that. Like, let's bring this back. This past off season, we thought that there was a legitimate chance that Elaine Vigneault didn't want to coach this team. We went through all of last season Pressing and pressing. Does he want to be back? Anthony pressed him and pressed him on if he wants to be back. And he was very non-committal. So Vino and company go in with Fletcher and they devise this plan. They devise this list of these are the kind of players we want. These are specific guys that we want, that we think that can execute the system. It can bring us back to a short stretch that happened in the 1920 season that gave everybody hope. The coach and the GM worked together. The coach came up with the list. I'm sure the GM had some input. The GM acquired the players. It didn't work. And now the coach is gone and the GM's here. And so if those two collaborated on this idea together and one had to give approval, one had to go out and acquire the players, I don't know what we're doing here. Like that to me is an issue because it, it represents a miscalculation from coaches evaluating what they thought would work and the GM who went out and acquired those players. Like, I don't, I don't see how there's any other way. And by the way, if, if the GM didn't think that it was a good idea, they could have fired the coach in the off season or they could have allowed the coach to resign in the off season. So I'm having a fundamental issue trying to understand how any of this makes sense. Like how you could blame Vino. And then there's no blame seemingly that falls at the, the feet of the guy who constructed the roster. Do you see well, it differently? Yeah, I, I, no, and I agree. I mean, listen, we, we're at a, you know, I'm just looking at it from, uh, first of all, I'm not a guy who will ever make a suggestion saying like, somebody wants to keep Chuck Fletcher, go ahead and keep him, right? Like he's your property. You can do what you want with him. Uh, and it's clearly Dave Scott is the boss that he answers to. And, and Dave obviously trusts what he has to say. You know, this is a team that's picked up now three players in the last uh, since the beginning of of, um, of the season off of waivers. Mm-hmm. You know, that's three players that are actually playing. You know, you had Patrick Brown, uh, Zach McEwen, and now Connaughton yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Obey Kubel got uh, he got picked up by Colorado. I actually played okay last night too. Took a pass from McKinnon. That would have been about typical if uh, if he came in here and buried a pair of goals the other night. Yeah. Um, but I listen. There's always accountability, and I think when you, I'm not so when I look at as a you know everyone wants to play GM. I'm not really looking at what Chuck the moves Chuck made as being bad moves. Or saying that they were, you know, regressive moves. Like Yandel's a plug-in guy. You know, at this point in his career, you, if you don't know what you're getting from him, well, then you shouldn't be doing the job. And let me kind of, dig, you know, dissect, I think, what the issue was that Chuck's had. It's not bringing in the guys he brought in for me. It's keeping the same guys that have been around Um time and time again and that includes 28 that includes the captain the captain again guys i just saw a tweet from bill Meltzer earlier today he's been the best player on the team again this year and what did we say before the season started if he's the best player on the flyers team this team is done they're in more trouble than they could possibly imagine uh, he did every single thing humanly possible within his skill range right now the other night to try to help them win that second game he played his he played his ass off but it's at this point it's not good enough they need to make serious core changes at the very top. And that's the only way that this uh, franchise has a chance to go backwards for a bit, which would be understanding with the fan base. By the way, my Twitter poll the other day, it was actually, it was a little less than I thought it would be. I thought there'd be more people willing to actually go for a full rebuild. It was two thirds that said, go for a rebuild. The other one third exactly said, yeah, retool and reload. They've been retooling and reloading for seven or eight years now, and I'm not sure retooling and reloadings work because if the top core guys are not getting it done, and that's what's happening. That's what I see right there, and that's where Chuck had to make. For me, my estimation when he came in, he had to make one or two major changes to that core. I don't even know what the core is anymore. I mean, we have a leadership group, but, you know, again, when you've lost nine in a row, uh, every question is fair at this point. Hi, Anthony. We'll let, we'll let Ant jump in. Ant is here, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at Ant Sanfilly. How you doing? Out here on the road. Joining, joining you from the car. It's okay. You're here. Yes. Man. You're here. I might have to do yeah. that. Yeah, joining you from the car. Yeah, well, I think we did it with you once before, Bundy. Yeah. So, um, I, listen, I, I heard what you just said. I mean, I, obviously, I caught just the, the last part of it because I hopped in here the last, you know, two minutes. And my thought process is um, – you can win with retooling, but you have to do it the right way. And what we've seen over the course of the last decade, whether it was Ron Hextall, well, goes actually goes back to Homer, I guess, mm -hmm. at the end of his tenure. But, um, uh, but what we saw with uh, you know, Hextall and now with Chuck Fletcher is every time they've tried to retool or if they didn't, that often but um uh, when they tried to retool it didn't work they didn't do it the right way and here we thought that this might have been because of the way chuck went all in this past summer that this might have been the right way to do it um to, to make the, the wholesale changes yeah it might take a little bit of time for the team to gel but it'll eventually get there and you, what you don't expect to happen is a nine game losing streak uh at this point in the season that causes the coach to get fired and uh, create turmoil because I mean really right now there is a lot of turmoil um, and the turmoil is because the coach got fired a little bit sooner than the GM wanted he's not he wasn't prepared 
to bring in another head coach. There was no practice time. They're middle of five and seven days, five games in seven days. They, they don't have assistant. They really don't have assistant coaches. Uh, they're waiting to hear from, um, from some people to, uh, to see if they'll accept the job. Um, and, and, you know, and it's just, it's just kind of, I think it, it's set them, it's setting them back even further in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing you have to, you have to do it the right way. And, and I, and I, I'm of the, I'm of the group that's in the 33% because I think it can be done the right way, but it ha- but it, you, you have, a, I would rather you go for it than say, you know what, we're going to suck for four or five years and then hopefully fingers crossed we'll be okay at that point because you see, we've seen in this town how that can go wrong. Like whether or not you believed that the Sixers process was, would have worked if they just would have let Sam Hinkie run the show for another four years. The fact of the matter is, is things went awry and things did not work. And here you have the Sixers in the same spot they were when this whole thing started. Right. And so therefore you say, well, isn't it possible that the same thing can happen in hockey? I mean, how long have the Buffalo Sabres been rebuilding, right? I mean, it's the same thing can happen there. So to me, it's like you you can do that. Um, you're gonna you're gonna lose part of your fan base if you do, um, and then maybe they'll come back if you get successful. But there's no guarantee that you're gonna be successful. And Russ and I were talking about this last night um, on Let's Go to the Phones, which is another podcast that's run through the Crossing Broad Network where we were guests. Is there is there any belief that this group will draft? enough talent to come in and in the next five years be a good team? I, I don't know. So I'd almost rather you try and win with talent that is that exists in the league somewhere and you try to acquire it than to sit there and say, hey, we haven't drafted well for forever, so let's just keep doing it and hope we get it right eventually. You know what? Here, here's an interesting one for you, Anthony, right? This is a guy, like I'm just thinking of trades and moves that teams have made over the years that were in similar spots to the Flyers that took somebody off their core – uh, and tried for the betterment of the team to do it. Look at Nazem Kadri the other night <clears throat> for Colorado, yep. right? Why is he not a Toronto Maple Leaf? He was as effective a player as they had, and they decided to move him. Whether they had contract situation was arising for him, but they decided to get assets because they knew they had to pay other guys. So <clears throat> that's one example I use, and he's a very, very good hockey player. Like, he does a lot of things for whatever team he's on. Um, drafting is a, is a massive part of it. The flyers under whoever's done it has done an awful job drafting. I mean, the Nolan Patrick, uh, play, unfortunately didn't work out. It happens. Sometimes you don't want it to happen with the number two pick. It did. Uh, there's been other guys as well. O'Brien, you know, whether he comes on, um, you know, he's out of here though. Right. Like, uh, uh, the kid that he went to Providence and he tra- transferred to Boston university, Jay O'Brien. Right. Yeah, and he's not, and he's not doing well there either. He's not, he's not either. So you know, he could. There's been problems drafting with this organization, and especially if you have high picks, which the Flyers are certainly looking like they're going to have one. You can't make a mistake. But you know what's funny, guys? Too look at the Rangers. You know, when I go around teams, just looking at draft picks of guys that have had really good picks. You know, if you take a look at Kako and Lafreniere, they have been good younger players, but they've not lit up the league yet. They've done it with right. abundance of guys like. Zabanajad, uh, Panarin, and Fox, who has been a revelation all of his own. So 
that's part part of it's getting lucky, but the Rangers did take a step backwards. It, 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 don't, don't forget the don't forget the, don't forget the goalie there, Bundy. Oh no, I, I yeah, right, right. Yeah. You know what, Anthony? You know me soon, uh, well enough. I think every goalie should stop every puck, so I never consider them anyway. But uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. But you know, he's he's an outstanding young goalie. Uh, but they have guys like like they built around it, and, they're, and they they're relying on their veterans. But they, you know, again, I think those draft picks will work out. Uh, but there has to be a fine balance between, I think I was, you know, I talked to Hexy. I used to feel like you used to have to have your roster. Uh, if you're going to have a team that's going to be competitive over time, I would say probably 65% of them have to come off a draft and the other 35 come off of trades or, or free agency. I think that's a pretty fair yeah. number. And there, uh, therein lies the biggest concern that I have yes. with, with the lack of change at the top. So, and to catch you up, I asked the question of Bundy early in the show. If the thought here is that the GM and the coach collaborated on the acquisitions and the list and, and such this past offseason, and it didn't work, yep. and you moved on from the super experienced head coach, and you knew that there was a chance that that would happen this year, I openly posited the question out, you know, like, what makes you stick with this GM long-term? I mean, maybe he gets through this, well, through the, through the season, but like, I look at what Chuck Fletcher's done as a talent evaluator, as a GM, I look back to his time at Minnesota and the results are not good. So if you make yeah. the, the, the determination that uh, he's the guy to build this team, like if Dave Scott is married to the idea that Chuck Fletcher has to be the GM, I'm deeply concerned. Because if this team, for whatever reason, doesn't want to go out and, and hire a high money coach, a, a big money coach to come in and, and try to turn things around, that's a problem. And if Chuck Fletcher is going to be the guy that has to build this team, I'm scared. Because if you look back, his 2010 draft with Minnesota was solid. He got Granlin, Larson, Zucker. Uh, the latter two were acquired in the second round. That was probably his best draft. That was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And then it just becomes dog shit from that point on. He found Broden in, in the first round in 2011. Matt Dumba is the only player of note that he drafted in the first round in 2012. The rest of the picks have played a combined nine games in the NHL. You look at 2013, his first, or he didn't have a first round pick. Most of the picks were iffy at best. Curtis Gabriel played 49 games or whatever. Uh, he found what Susie plays 108 games. In the NHL, you look at 2014, again, it's it's a one-player draft. It's his first-round pick he hit. That was it. Take a look at Cam Barker. Cam Barker and Nick Letty. Wasn't yeah. that one of the trades he made too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he admits that that was the worst trade he ever made. Yes. Yeah. It was asinine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2015 um, draft, so, um, the, the, the first two picks go, are okay. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to make yeah. a point here. 2016, his first-round oh, pick I'm is gonna, okay, gonna, and that's it. There, there is there is an issue here if you're going to go the route of a rebuild, which you know you guys have talked about. But if you're going to go with a rebuild, you need somebody who you think can find value, not just in the first round, but in later rounds as well. And Fletcher has not demonstrated an ability to do that so far as a GM in this league, which I find highly concerning. No matter which way you want to go, whether it's a retool or a rebuild, I'm not sure he's the guy that should be in charge of ushering in that next wave that next move that next deciding way that your franchise is going to go for the next three to five years 
Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I don't necessarily disagree with you, Russ. I mean, it, most GMs get two coaches, right? Mm-hmm. So he had his first coach, and it failed. So he's probably going to get one more, all right, before before he's out. But I think it is fair to say. I mean, we talked about this before the summer, and I remember saying to you then, and and I'll stick by it now, that the summer was Chuck's summer. And that he had to produce during the summer. And we thought that he did a nice job, at, you know, at the time. Turns out it's, it's really not working yet. Now, there's still time. I mean, you know, never know. We'll see what happens. But let's assume that they don't respond, that they don't get back into it, that they end up becoming a team that's got to trade off pieces at the deadline and, and go into yet another offseason of uncertainty. It's fair to question whether Chuck Fletcher is the right guy for that. Because you gave him, he finally had the opportunity after, you know, you say the first season, okay, it was an evaluation season and his second and third seasons were, you know, interrupted greatly by COVID and a lot of things like that. Okay, fine. So now this is the fourth season with him and he, he did, he put his fingerprints all over the roster and it didn't get any better. So maybe you could sit there and say, well, well why does he deserve another chance? I think that's a fair question at that point. Certainly is in, in my mind to, to sit there and say that. Now, you know, I, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and call for his head. I, I don't think it's at that point just yet, but I think it's certainly worth questioning whether it's the right he's the right guy or not. We're in that. I think we're certainly in that phase uh, of the situation right now. I think it's also fair to question if if that's the case, <clears throat> and I know you won't agree with this, but it is what it is. I don't know. If, if you think that there's not the ability, I mean, one, if he's, if he's proven incapable of finding legitimate value outside of the first round as a draft evaluator, as a GM in this league, that in of itself is concerning because this isn't a team that like is one or two pieces away and like needs to just have one or two guys coming down the pike to replace guys who are aging out. Like you don't have a farm system that's so ripe with talent that you can afford to only hit on a first round pick and then have the rest of it be kind of iffy or, or a toss up. If, if well, you know that on the draft, on the, the draft side of things, he's not an elite evaluator. And then you know that, all right, he had the chance to build a roster this past off season. And he's had chances over the last couple of years to make tweaks in season. And the results haven't been great. I don't know, like, why would you give him then the possibility to go out and hire yet another coach. Like if it's me, if I'm Dave Scott, I look at this and I say, I would rather roll with Mike Yo the rest of the year. And I'd rather get an idea of what this team looks like. Can Yo turn around? I don't think he can, but can Yo turn this around? Can Fletcher make some moves to bring this team back into playoff contention? And if not, I consider cleaning house. Like, I don't know why you would let him go out and hire Tortorella or hire Montgomery or let him hire Tockett to me, you're just kind of kicking the can down the road. And I don't see a cohesive idea of, or like a cohesive vision of like what makes this team successful. I, I, think, I think the best way to really measure a general manager is the roster moves that they make, um, you know, in an off season, whether it's through trades and free agency and, and the contracts that they offer players um, and see where those players are, you know, relative to the money that they're making. I think that's where drafting, it's kind of hard. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you start to say he's never really had a great draft and maybe he hasn't had a great draft, 
but I think in the NHL, and Bundy will probably agree with me on this, um, you should hit your first rounder for sure. That's the one that you can't you can't miss in the first. But um, you know, second, third rounder. I mean, how many of them make it to the NHL? Second rounders are probably forty percent. Third rounders probably thirty percent, and then beyond that, it's like ten percent. Right? I mean, it's like so you're you're really not you know, expecting to make great moves further down the draft. It's not like an NFL draft where you can replenish your roster in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds. Like you, the NHL doesn't really work that way. Um, so, Again, no, so that's I my concern that, because you know, he hasn't really, he hasn't really hit even near that 40% clip in the second or third round. Like, like I said before, there are entire years where you get to the second, third and beyond, and there are no games played at the NHL level. Like that to me is a massive concern. I don't, I don't know if it's massive, but I mean, I think you're going to find that in a lot of teams. Well, I think I really do. I, one of the issues they do have guys is, is clearly their, their minors uh, are just not, they don't have anything they can offer to the team right now. I said to Russ earlier, Anthony, I mean, if you're picking up Kevin Connaughton off of waivers uh, off from Florida at this time of the year, that you're clearly set signaling to everybody you're desperate uh, to get some form of defensive depth. Right. So Again, those are those are you know if there's no because if they did if they thought they had somebody that can come up here and do a better job than Sealer was doing, then they probably would have wouldn't have had to go get somebody pick up another small contract off the waiver wire. Um, yeah, well, I think I, I think that that's a situation too, though, Bundy. When you look at what the Phantoms have been through this year, I mean they they have ten guys out with injury. York was sidelined with COVID. I mean yeah. they have they have, they they I mean the Phantoms were picking up free agents like they were signing amateur contracts, but yes. they didn't have enough players. So, I mean, they, they, there are, there is, I think there might be a reason for a Connaughton pickup there. Not that it's going to make a difference. I mean, you're, you're Connaughton versus Sealer. I mean, like, I mean, really, I mean, is, is, is there, is one really better than the other? I don't know. I want to get um, back to like, funny. they're, no, they're get... both the same. I mean, they're just trying to pick up depth, but I mean, you know, and yeah. one guy's up here now. It's just, it's a, it's a tough situation. And there's been a lot, a lot of teams have had injuries too all year. COVID stuff still go, lingering around. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's a problem. It's, I, I understand both your sides, guys, really. I, I do. I mean, when you look at it, you just, you know, you can't have the off season and then the ex, with the, you know, the expectations coming in that you're going to really made those tweaks and then the tweaks haven't worked. The one thing I'll give him credit for, like Ryan Ellis, we haven't seen a full Ryan Ellis. Do I think that he would have turned this whole ship around? I don't. Uh, they've had problems scoring. I just don't think that one, one guy was going to make a difference. Um, and so they have they have their work cut out for them because they're behind the eight ball now. And now you got to start. <clears throat> it's not like you have to climb the three teams ahead of you. You got to climb the three teams ahead of you before you climb get up to those three teams. So, I mean, I could take you got almost they almost have to go on a ten or twelve game winning streak at some point again, like they've done in the past. And for any fans out there, I'll give you a little hope. They've done that crazy stuff before. Uh, but I tell you what, man, they may have run out of their four-leaf clovers. Well, and so um, that, that, and that I don't know if you guys like, have talked concern. about this yet. Well, I don't know if you've talked about this yet. But, like, the, the, the concern for me is different than I think the concern for you, Russ. The concern for me is that there are players on this roster who were being counted on who were not players that Chuck brought in. But necessary, but players that were that he signed uh, to a contract or that were under contract already um, that were expected to elevate their play in conjunction with the players that he brought in that have not contributed. Okay, and the two that we talked about yesterday 
were uh, uh, that are the most pro- prominent are Couturier and Provorov. Yeah. Um, you know, Bundy, I know we've talked about Provorov really not being a one, and, and I think we're starting to see that that's the case and that your your assessment on that has been pretty accurate. Um, but switching over to Couturier for a second, I mean, here's a guy that two years ago won the Selkie Trophy, was one of the top centers in the NHL. Last year he played hurt, uh, still was a pretty good player, maybe not up to his level, but he played hurt um, and, and it took a, a slight step back. But with the way he's playing right now, doesn't he looks like a shell of himself? Like, and, and they just signed him to a long-term big money deal. Like that to me is a, is a bigger concern. Is is this something that you think that Coots can get you know get by? You know, is it something that's just you know we, we talk about you know your body kind of breaking down or being hockey tired um, and just needs maybe needs a break. Maybe the Olympic break will do him good and then he'll come back and be okay. Or is it something that you sit there and say? Man, he's got a lot of miles on his body already. At you know, he came into the league at 18, and even though he's only 29, he might have the body of a 35-year-old right now. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It's, it's very possible, and he's had some pretty significant injuries over the years. You know, knees and and some there were some playoff battles and stuff. Uh, he's had a lot of you know battles with Malkin going back earlier in his career. He hasn't been the same player, but he'd be the one guy for me that I would really think that, you know, he could, if when the team rounds, maybe rounds into whatever form, he's going to have to, first of all, be very much a driver in this scenario and not a passenger. I mean, it's time now for him to get behind the wheel of the bus. I mean, you got paid, you got a seven-year deal, whatever it was, it was a long contract. Um, so, you know what, there's no more like in the shadow of G. Uh, or you're a younger guy than Kevin Hayes, you need to start taking onus of this team uh, and even probably start acting like a captain on the ice. I, I think, you know, if Giroux moves on, the most logical guy will be Couturier. But I just think right now, guys, are, they just look mentally beat. They really do. Yeah. He looks like a beat-down hockey player. Um, you know, Giroux doesn't. It's funny. He doesn't. He just goes out and plays. But there's a lot of guys that you can really tell this is really wearing on them. And you could see, I can see it in their face watching him on TV. I mean, it's, I've been there, you know, and it's, it's, it's almost like a stress within a stress uh, of trying to win the game, trying to perform as optimally as possible for yourself, for your teammates. And when you're not getting the results, I'll tell you what is a really bad sinking feeling. Uh, and he's a guy that I know, you know, I've known over the years, having done those, you know, close broadcasts, uh, he cares, like he cares a lot about things and he, and he, you know, uh, and I'm so I'm sure his play right now is of concern even to himself as it is to the fans. But Anthony, to what you just said, yeah, you start getting the 700 games or whatever it is, you know, more than 500, certainly, uh, and play the, the rich minutes that he's played, you're going to start getting beat up and banged up. And those little nicks and bruises will start adding up over time. So, yes, that is a factor. He's a 29-year-old, but he probably has a lot more of a mid-30 body in him uh, just because of the amount of miles on him. Which is yet another concern because – Well, that's, to me, that's a big concern. Well, yeah, I mean – this, this comes back to, I think, an issue that we raised when he signed the contract in the offseason, which was it's a lot of term. It's a long term for a guy who's been playing in the league since he was a teenager. And there was legitimate concern that, like, the second half of the deal was going to look really bad because he has so many miles on him. I don't think any of us could have foreseen him struggling like he has to this point. I, I have to hope, I guess anybody has to hope that he's just playing hurt at this point that he's trying to, to gut it out because there is no depth. There's no organizational depth at center. He probably, if, if he is hurt, has done the calculus of, well, you know, me at 60% is still better than Connor Bunneman. 
Like this organization doesn't have a lot of different ways to go. Giroux cannot play center for an extended period of time at the NHL level at this point. He will wear down and what has been your most effective player will see a massive reduction in his quality and in his performance if you had to put him back up as the top line center on this team. I am convinced of that. Uh, I don't want to say that this is a Chuck Fletcher problem, but like he did give the contract. When you, when you bank on a guy for that kind of term, knowing how much he's played in this league and how long he's played in this league, I'm not going to say it was a poor decision because we said at the time that if it works out, it is a great contract to have a Selkie winner on. But man, that combined with Provorov regressing to the worst form I think we've seen him play since what, 1819? Like it, it's bad. This is really bad. This is pre Niskin in days bad. And if Ellis is the guy that has to unlock the potential in Provorov, this is where we come back to a concern. And if you remember last year when the line A rumors were out there, I said, I would consider trading Ivan Provorov because I wasn't convinced that he's going to be this top guy if you don't have somebody reliable next to him. Well, that's kind of played out. So I guess let's go a little bit big picture here, Bunny, because you're the one who brought up the five-year rebuild. That was your, your poll. Does the team have to go that way? Like if, if we take Ants, Rosie, and Sonny outlook that this team could theoretically turn things around, like, is it even worth it? Like, is there ceiling with this group or even with a couple of tweaks this year? Is that potential like eight to 11 seed team worth the effort and worth the effort again next year? Or is this organization better off tearing it down, selling off parts like Provra, perhaps like Couturier, like Giroux? to try to get some kind of draft capital back or young players back with other potential upside. Is that the better way to go for this team for the next three to five years? Or do they keep trying to do this retool on the fly that they've done for the better part of a decade now? Like, where do you land? Yeah. yeah, I'll go first on this one. I, I, first of all, they should have done this quite a while ago from where I am. I've seen it like guys, I broadcasted radio, uh, and TV up uh, right up till two years ago. So I've seen the whole thing. I've watched it happen. I've watched the coaches come in, the different GMs. Um, and I know what the, I, I, I saw every night I was rinkside. I watched this team every single night for four years, not that long ago. You know, I was a hockey guy, uh, but I think to myself, I'm like, God, they need changes here. Like, this is just not long haul type of stuff. So to what you're saying, Russ, you can do it in a way where you don't have to tank like every single person. I think yeah. what the Rangers did was a uh, like I, you know, I'm going back to the Rangers, but what they did was was a was a good play. They told their fans too, right? They said, "Listen, give us be patient with us. We're going to try to turn this around." And now, listen, are they going to win the Stanley Cup this year? Probably not. But they're in a much much better position moving forward for the next decade than the Flyers are at all. They have a first pick and a second pick. They have Matthew Fox and they have Shesterkin. I'm going back to them. They are so far ahead of the of the Flyers right now, based on their youthful uh, the, the youth that they have. The Flyers can't make that up, except good drafting, having a lot of luck happen. So, from a standpoint of of a, of a rebuild, yes, I don't want to play around anymore with oh, we got in, you know, we're the seventh seed by one point or whatever, and we're going to get our our doors blown off in the first round again. 
But hey, we made the playoffs and we're really hoping we could take this to another level next year. I heard the same crap year and year and year again. And I go back and it was the same thing every year. So what do you do now? Now is a real opportunity to, to, to actually say, you know what, we are going to move on from our top end core guys, get what you can get back within reason, a good, hopefully get something good. There's good, there's some good players that would be a fit for other teams, but to go about just like I said, the retooling and uh, reloading and retooling, that doesn't work for me at this point. They've done that for a decade now, almost certainly the last five years, it's not worked. Now it's time to break this thing down. You've got a young goalie that you've told everybody is going to be the future of this franchise. Let him go. Don't let him build his whole starting of his career under wins and losses, having the pressure saying, you need to win this game tonight. Or, you know, that's probably what he's thinking. So break it down, build it back up and let it go for three or four years and see where you're at. But you have to have the personnel, like Anthony said, you have to know what you're doing, who, what players you're getting, what's of mo most importance uh, to your team. You know, what is it? What's the sexy thing in modern hockey today? You know, it's puck possession. It's skill down in the zone. There's still a room for a lot of different players because there's a lot of jobs available. But guys, I don't know, man. I, I've, I've been willing to stick it out like a lot of people have. Um, I did say several times on my own over the years, it's just time to blow this up. And, and now I'll say it, there's never been a better time to reset the clock on this one and, and to, to try to move it forward. Break it down to build it back up because it's not working. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, look... I, I, I'm, I'm again, I'm okay with moving on from players that have been here that are under contract that if you can get, if you can get someone to take those contracts as part of how you're going to reshape the team, I'm fine with that. Like who comes to mind? I, I just like who, who are like the, the guys that are in that ill, well, I mean, like I, to, to clarify. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready to, to move Couturier, although you could, he would definitely get you a return. Um, uh, but I mean, let's say, you know, who, who could get you a return? Well, obviously you're talking, we're going to start talking about trading Giroux, mm -hmm. assuming he agrees to you know, the no move clause, you know, he gets you some return this year. Okay. Um, Travis connect me. Uh, that's a contract that you can move um, that someone will probably take and you maybe sooner rather than later, you would want to move it because if he continues to be a non-entity, uh, on the ice, then it becomes an albatross contract, right? Um, uh, Provorov, that, I mean, in, in all honesty, if you really want to look at it. Um, uh, Sanheim, if you really want to look at it. So, like, these players, not to say you got to move them all, but if you move a couple of them and get some value in return and create some cap flexibility, then you can have the – then you can say, okay, now we're going to get some extra draft picks. We maybe got a player or two that we like that we think we could plug into this into this roster. We have some cap flexibility, and you go back at it next year and you try and get there again. I think you could do that without saying we're blowing the team up completely, trading everybody, getting rid of everyone, and starting from scratch. Let me because ask I think that that path, I teams have tried it, and and they're still there. And that, and that's I think it's really hard to do in hockey. Because, Bunny, and this is the one thing that Russ and I were arguing about yesterday on just a general phone call, phone call Russ and I fight. Um, uh, and, but, but we were talking about this yesterday. Um, you, can, you can win. Wait, pause. Hold on, because Bunny league. had something to say. I know where you're going. Let Bunny, what Go were ahead. you going to interject there? I was just going to ask you guys uh, just a very generic question. Who is an untouchable on this team? Well, that's For the me, thing. For me, it was I, one I, guy. I, yeah. It was one guy. 
I, I brought this up in a, I brought this up on Twitter as well. I said, give me three guys that you're going to build the team around. If you had to go the next three to five years, who are the three? And I struggled to come up with three. I had two. I said, you, you've done enough of building around what Carter Hart is supposed to be. So fine. You have, you have a goalie who we, theoretically you want to build around. And I'd say Farabee. I would say Farabee has shown enough to this point that gives you enough hope. And he's on a, a decent contract. Those are the two. And outside of that, like, I don't know what number three looks like. Is Hart the one for you, Bundy? Is that? It, it, he is. Uh, you know what, Russ? And in, in fairness, I, I, I love Farabee. Uh, you know, he's, yeah. a, he's a good, good young player. Uh, is he replaceable? It's hard to replace goals. Uh, but but he's a winger. Uh, you know, even John LeClaire would say a winger is like you can grow a good winger a dime a dozen. I don't necessarily believe that, but I certainly I did not think of him in that logic. So I, I will actually say, yeah, you know, I like what his number is next year in terms of his term and, and contract. And and he's got some real upside. He's a good, good young goal scorer. So I'll, I'll throw him yeah, in there as well. Well, I mean, see, here's the thing, too, but I can't and I can't. And I said already said this. I can't just throw Couturier out there yet. Just because he's he's looked bad for twenty games, like there's he has too much cachet as a player to me to sit there and say let's move on from Sean Couturier at this point. Like I think that you still need that kind of player. I didn't say to have... move on from him. I mean, said I asked who an untouchable was. Well, yeah, that's fair. To me, I could I could make the I could make the argument though. Just humor me. If you're looking at a three to five year plan, right, to try to build this thing back up, would you then not in three to five years be in the exact same position with Sean Couturier that you currently are with Claude Giroux? Like the timelines don't work out. You're, you're not going to be entering a five-year prime stretch of Sean Couturier. You're going to be entering what probably is the downside of that contract, which will be what? He'll be mid-30s after playing in the league. What? It'll be 14, 15, 16 years in the league. Like, I, my bigger concern, because I think Katuri is a guy that you could theoretically have as the guy for this team to lead them through what could be a painful rebuild because he demonstrates on and off the ice, what you want out of that kind of player. But I do worry because in three to five years, he's not going to be that guy. He can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, it's possible. I do. Is there a concern that that he's he won't have the 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 body to play the game anymore because of how much mileage he has. Sure, but I mean you can sit there and say, look at Patrice Bergeron, who's 37, 38, plays similar game, has been in the league just almost as long. I think he came in at 19 and not 18, right? So uh, you know it's you, you look at a player like that and say, well if he could do it, right? Why why can't Couturier do it? You know so and and. And Bergeron is still an effective player on a good team at that age at this point. Bergeron's so, also had I mean, a lot yes. more help, though. Like, he hasn't been relied upon in the same of way course. over the extended period. Like, I think that's where the, the talent disparity around... He's a 20-minute-a-night forward. All, all, all situations forward. But he, he, does he have better players around him? Yes. But that doesn't mean that he's not being playing the same. It's not like is playing a ton more minutes than Bergeron. They're playing the same amount of time. In, in each game, you know, and they're being asked to do the same thing or go out against the other team's best players and be successful. I, I, I suggested when I, when I said it guys, and I just want to clarify it because I don't want to get everybody all nervous in my thinking. When I say untouchable, if somebody came to you and wowed you with a trade and you, they wanted Couturier and you're like, holy geez, these are two great players in a draft pick. I'm game for that. 
Yeah. I also did suggest sure. that Couturier should be possibly be the captain of this team moving forward as well. Right. You know, so yeah. he is a right. key key piece here. But I'm just saying, if someone wows you for all the reasons we just talked about, uh, aging is he an aging hockey player? We don't know that yet. He may have he may get up in ten games, guys, and be like, "Wow, Coots looks awesome." So I have yeah. what what I say about him now has nothing to do uh, with this stretch of games that he's in because it falls on the whole team. I'm just yeah, saying, if I, someone I, blew you away with an offer and the terms okay. met, I would I would certainly consider it. Where Carter Hart, you're going to have to offer me the world right now. Uh, for me to give up on that young goalie because I've seen him play really, really well. And why? And this is this is this gets to the argument that Russ and I had yesterday. And why is that? Why do you have to? Why do you need to offer the world for Carter Hart? Because I think because we've been told number one, we've been told how good he is. We've seen in spurts how good he is. We've also seen how sideways he can go as a player. Yeah. I just think guys with his pedigree, uh, the three years that he's had since he started, uh, he had a great start went through the COVID year. There's been a lot of stuff with, with, with that illness too. That's kind of messed guys heads up. Um, I, I'm just willing to really just lay it on Carter Hart for at least another two years and say, go for it kid. Is it because the position is so valuable? It is. And I think when you look at the Rangers, right? Like look at Shesterkin, you know, like they're, you know, I don't, they got a guy that's going to probably hopefully stays healthy. He's hurt now. Uh, is going to be the future of their team. And I think that's exactly the same I hope I have for Carter Hart with the Flyers, uh, that he he continues the positive parts of his development, erases some of those maybe mental uh, things that we see in games sometimes where it sp- spirals on him. But I just think the goaltender is such a valuable piece of, of, of what you're trying to do. Look at Vasilevsky and Tampa. I mean, these guys are big-time goaltenders, right? And they, they were able to take their team to two Stanley Cups, a guy like that. So that's why I say it. Um, they don't grow on trees, great goalies. And I'm, I, and I'm not willing to say Carter's a great goalie right now, but I think he has, he, I think he's shown the ability guys that he can be. And I hope that right. he gets there. I hope he gets there. And, and, this, and this is the argument that, that Russ and I were having. It's and that I was sitting there saying, you don't need to have a team that has elite talent, like superstar forwards, top centers, Connor McDavid types, to be a winning team, if you have a really good goalie and you play really good defense in front of his goalie, you could get by with a forward group that does not have a superstar. Right? I mean, and that's that's what I'm trying to say. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I think there are enough players here when you really look at what the Flyers have currently on the roster. There are enough players that you're not that they're that they could work if the goaltending is good and your defense is a lot better. Not to say that they had that they all have to work together. You could move one or two of them, but you could keep eight of these forwards and still have a successful franchise, right? I mean, is that that's what I'm trying to get. That's what the point. That's why I don't think it needs to be blown up. I think you could look at it and say, okay, this didn't work. We move Konechny, we move if somehow we can get somebody to take that freaking JVR contract for whatever reason, right? Um, and maybe you move one other player, maybe whatever. And then you're, you concentrate on really solidifying that blue line and maybe add one or two pieces in the offseason for up front. I think you've got a team, again, that could be competitive. You don't need – it's nice to have an Ovechkin. It's nice to have a Crosby. It's nice to have a Malk, I mean, a Malkin or a McDavid or Dreisaitl. Yeah, sure, it's nice to have those players. 
they don't, they don't, again, they don't grow on trees. You have to get the number one pick in the draft or number two pick in the draft in a good draft to get those types of players. And can you do that so by retooling? So from having you, that. You get a number one overall pick by retooling and by plugging and playing. It's a simple question. Probably not. Simple answer. Okay. Probably not. Okay. And there, but, therein lies the crux of the argument. But I there's think. no guarantee that you're going to get it if you there's tank. Not. And so there's no guarantee that it's a generational player. See Nico Hishier. See Nolan Patrick at number two. It's not a guarantee. This is my point. But this is not the but, NBA. You think like the NBA, and this is not the NBA. This but is that's not, not what it's this not is. a star-driven league. It's not See, you don't that's, need that's a, not true. That's just not. It's fundamentally not true. Here's the issue that I have. My point so, has never so been you're my so point just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean there isn't validity in what I have to say. Like you need to every st- generational superstar outside of McDavid, I guess and Eric too, have won a Stanley Cup. If you go back to even 50 years, 60 years, the generational star that's come in, Anthony, I don't know where that ended, but the only one I'd ever had was up till Eric Lindros was the only one that had never won. Like if you go back, LaFleur. Uh, Crosby, even Ovechkin, you know, I mean, in terms Ovechkin of his goal score, he's certainly going to be the greatest one. of all time. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, uh, Jean Beliveau, going back to the field. These guys were prodigies. They delivered. That's all they did was deliver. Right. Back but back it was also, field. we're also talking, Bundy, in an era when there were 18, 20 teams. Now there's 32. It, that's, why it's, that's why it's harder for McDavid to, to, to win a cup now mm-hmm. than it was when it was, than it, when it was for Guy Lafleur. But, Cro- uh, but Crosby and Ovechkin did it, and they did it as they leaders did. on their team. They did. And, and that's where that's they where did. I think the crux of the argument is different. Like, and you were very much of the mindset that if you make the playoffs, you have a shot to go far. See yes. Montreal last year. Yeah. But look what Montreal did. It was a fluky run. And now they're blowing it up. They admitted publicly they're blowing it up because that one year run wasn't enough to justify well, because, retooling. Yes, because, they, okay? because they, also, they also knew that the way that it was set up last year with all the Canadian yes. teams in one division, like yes. they probably, but they, probably, but don't, they, got they that probably don't make that, they probably don't make that run if it was Okay, the but division. they got that Stanley Cup run and it wasn't enough for them to say, we're just a few pieces away or we're going to retool. They, they, they hit the button on it. St. Louis is like the one that you like to go back to and that's fine, but that is an anomaly. St. Louis turning around the worst team, Baruby leading that team to a Stanley Cup is an anomaly. The reason it stands out is because it doesn't happen. It doesn't one, happen consistently. There's one team, Russ. There's one team that I can go to in the last decade that I think did it with a retool and a reload. Did it more than once, actually. But they, at the end of the day, when, they, when you look at this team over time, they will have had, they had a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. They had a, certainly a future Hall of Fame goalie with a mixed bag offensively of guys that all stepped up together. Who am I talking about? Uh, LA? The LA yeah, Kings. Say the Kings. The LA yeah, Kings yeah. did it. They picked up some really good players in Carter uh, and Richards at the Richards. time. Uh, and they had Kopitar, Dustin Brown. Those guys played hard. That was an example of a kind of a team that can win. Had an outstanding goaltender. They had a big, solid defense with a guy like Jake Muzzin there. He picked up some, some size. And then you had Dowdy. You know, right, with yeah. power play. So, and they actually went with a very miserable power play one year. But that's the kind of team. They were an eight uh, seed the that, year they won, the first time they won. That they were the eight seed. They beat Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, from the year who went to the final. So those are that. That's a kind of, to me, Anthony and Russ. That's the kind of team that's like a team team. 
that had the right characters, right personnel, and they ended up were being rewarded with it with a great goaltender. Very, very good goalie. Yeah. And my Jonathan. problem is I want to see this team build a team that is a year-in and year-out contender. I don't want just the one lucky playoff run. And Ant, like you go back to the Sixers thing all the time. Are they in any better shape? Yeah. I mean, we we can argue about like what the Evan Turner Sixers were and Andre Iguodala Sixers are and like the fact that they made a, a deeper playoff run. But does anybody think that on any given day that team could beat a Joel Embiid-led Sixers team? No, it would be silly. My problem is get me a team that has a legitimate chance for three to five years to be a top two or three team in the conference and have a legitimate shot at the Stanley Cup. And I don't think that this team is one or two pieces away from being that. And so if that's the case, I look at it and I say, we need to figure out a way to get top end talent. The Rangers are lucky because they're in New York. They were able to attract Panarin to come because there is a special element to New York City and to the New York market. We see it across every sport, with the exception of the Knicks. But like we see it across sports. It's just how it works. If you're not a free agent destination, which I don't think the Flyers are, we've talked about it enough. Then, then where does that top end talent come? It either has to happen via trade, which is, I mean, you're, we're talking about trading off pieces with the hope of acquiring young players back or draft capital, or it's through the draft. And the only way to get those super high picks that have maybe a better shot of hitting than like number 17, number 18, number 22, is to have a bad season or two and hope that whichever guy you get in the top three ends up being one of those generational talents. I mean, Tampa, Pittsburgh, Chicago, LA, like those teams had sustained runs of excellence. And as Bundy pointed out, for practically every one of those teams, they had at least one star A-level talent player. This team right now does not have a guy who is the best player on any team he goes to in this league. And I think you could argue... Bundy's got to run and Bundy's got to run, but I'm going to, I'm going to take you to school after he's, after he leaves. Nice, great so let's show say goodbye to Bundy. Bye Bundy. And, and, See you guys. Love you both. Yeah. Take it easy on each other. I'll be watching. Yeah, you got it. No problem. All right. Now let me, let me, let me explain something to you. You just, you just identified those teams. Pittsburgh. Yes. They had an elite. They had more than one elite player. You had Crosby, Malkin, Fleury were three guys that were taken at the very top of the draft. But how bad was Pittsburgh for how long before they got to those three players? And then they had to they had to be fortunate enough to win those lotteries in those years that those players were available. It was a perfect storm for them, but they were bad for a decade. Mm-hmm. They were bad, bad, not, not no, mediocre getting into the playoffs and have a shot. They were bad for a decade to get that. Chicago got lucky and vaulted the Flyers to get Patrick Kane. If they don't vault the Flyers to get Patrick Kane, Chicago doesn't win three Stanley Cups. Okay? So they they got lucky in that regard. They were and how bad were they? They were bad for decades. Plural yeah. decades, sure. Okay? So that's how bad they were for how long. The Kings, they didn't have the superstar player. They built like Bundy said, that's the kind of team that you look at what the Flyers have now and say this team can get closer to LA than they can to Chicago, Pittsburgh, Tampa, like that, that ilk, because they have Carter Hart who could become that goalie. Um, they don't quite have the Dowdy defenseman. They had thought that they might have, <laughs> they don't even remotely have, that. they thought that they might have in Provorov, but they don't. Yeah. But 
Um, but the forward group is similar. Kopitar and, and Couturier are similar players, very similar players. Yeah. And I would even argue that Giroux currently, not to say that he's going to be part of the future here, but Giroux currently is better than any other forward that the Kings had on that team, that on those teams that won the Stanley Cup. So, so to sit there and say that you're not that far away or, or they're, they're not one or two pieces away, well, they don't have the, they don't have the Norris Trophy defenseman. But with the exception of that, they're closer than you think to L.A. than they are to, you know, Pittsburgh. I don't think they're close to any of these. I think Bunny was pointing out that that's the exemplar model, that if that's the way that you're going to go by trying to plug and play, yes. But, like, part of what vaulted the Kings was the acquisition and the acquisitions of Richards and Carter. That, that gave them what really was, in a lot of ways, projected to be two of the Flyers' top three forwards as what a, a one was on the first line, one was on the second line. Like that was a that was an excess of riches. I guess would be my point. Well, they we don't have that what, right now. Like they did tried. Have. No, no, they ahead. were second. They were second and third line in, in L.A. Um, they didn't. The Kings, what the Kings recognized that they didn't have is they didn't have quality down the middle behind Kopitar. They didn't have another center, and so acquiring Richards. Richards was initially going to be their number two center. Um, and then they realized after, to be fair, after that trade that, you know, Richards was already starting to have a little bit of a decline. He was still a good player, but already starting to have a little bit of a decline and that they would be better suited come the playoffs with Richards playing on the third line. If they could get a scorer to play on the second line. And then they went out and traded for Carter from Columbus to make that happen. So that's, that's how they made that work. Um, so, but, but they had in place. They had a, a two-way center at number one in Kopitar, which the Flyers have. They had in place the equivalent of a third-line center in Richards in that trade, which is Kevin Hayes. I mean – Question mark, but but not healthy right now. Or no, doesn't okay, look but, quite like the same guy, but okay, sure. But okay, like, if, like so you know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. and so you could, if, if, you want, if you want to sit there and say, okay, the, the difference right now between what L.A. and yes, they had a bunch of – a bunch of guys who bought in that were grinder type forwards, you know, the Dustin Brown will go through a wall for you, kind of, kind mm-hmm. of a leader as a as a third line forward. Um, Toffoli was a young young kid on that on those championship teams, and you know, they had a bunch of guys like that who kind of all bought in. And I think you look at this Flyers team, you can sit there and say, okay, can you see a Cam Atkinson being one of those kind of buy-in kind of guys in the playoffs? Sure, I can. I certainly can. Um, can you see, can you see, you know, further down the lineup, a Scott Lawton being one of those kind of guys? Yeah, I could, I could certainly see that. So, like, you know, I think that there are, again, players here who could fit that mold. They don't have it all, but they're not as far away as you think. I think the blue line is where it's missing. You don't have a Dowdy at all. You don't have a muzzin. I mean, you know, I, I, I would, I could argue that maybe Ellis could Ellis be something. No, muzzin's more big, he's a bigger player. I would, I would say that maybe. I mean, Ellis. I'm Ellis just saying a, like impact on the game. Yeah, Ellis could have because he's bit not. More. He's he's not at the. He's not yeah, a right a, a one one. Right. He he could have a little bit more impact, and maybe that makes Provorov better and Ristolainen. I mean, look, I think Ristolainen's played great. I really do. Look good. I, I I would I would. He's not signed. He's I, not would re- I would resign. They might lose him. He might you be, know. listen, he might be the biggest revelation of the season and he might not resign. So yeah, that's, so, I mean, like, uh, so that's, that's why I'm great. saying like, you, could you move on from a Sanheim here and, st- and improve the defense? Yeah. Like, I think you can, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's the thing. And so that to me, I, 
I, I just don't see it. I just don't see breaking down this entire roster and then being bad for so long and hoping against hope that you, that you hit those lottery spots. It's, yep. it's, a, it's too much of it. I think in the NHL, it's too much of a gamble. I really do. I think you can get away with it in the NBA more than you can in, in hockey. And you just see teams who've tried and have failed miserably. I think you have a better chance of being a non-superstar team and winning a Stanley Cup than you do in any other sport. I think that for this to play out the way that you want it to play out, a lot of things have to break differently and they had to break differently from the start. And we went into this offseason saying a lot of these things had to happen at the same time for this team to have a legitimate chance. They haven't broken that way. And I'm not convinced that if you just make a couple of tweaks along the edges for next year, that this team is going to come close. I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like the, the, the blue line with this team, if Ellis stays healthy, if Ristolainen keeps taking a step forward, okay. Well, then you have two, right? You have you have a first pair and probably a second pair. I mean, I mean again, I mean, well, you, like, hold, hold on, because organizationally, off, right? You're like, completely blowing off Provorov, which you shouldn't well, do. Well, he's not. On. He's not. He's not Drew Doughty, but he's also no. not Keith Yandel, right? I mean, he's no. He's a top four. But I'm, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of like, if if it's repl- if it's retooling, right? And like we talked about which guys could you potentially move off of to try to get some assets back. If it's a retool or if it's a full on rebuild, well, Provorov is probably one that can get you value. That's why I'm not really including him in that, that well, long-term the, prediction because that's you, fair. you need that, to that's, get That's fine. Assets. But things, but then you have to assume that you're going to get an asset in return. That's going to be, that's going to benefit. You're not just selling him off for a draft pick, right? I mean, you're, you're going to get something yeah. back. That's going to, that's going to bring, you know, you're probably going to get a top four defenseman back or, or if not, you're going to get a top end forward back in return. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if you go back Russ and, and let's, let's wrap it with this. Cause we still have to do a couple five stars. Um, if you can go back to the beginning of last season, would you, would you do the Provorov for line a deal now? Yeah. Would you, I said, I said, I said at the time that I would have, I would have pulled the trigger on it. I would have I'm, thought about it strong. I'm still not sure. I'm still and, not but sure. Here, I here's why though. Here's why. Because Line is only 23. And I know yeah. that he's not like going off. He hasn't done a crazy, he hasn't been crazy successful with <laughs> the team he's with, right? Can you blame him? Um, and he's and he's also back home in Finland. He just lost his dad. So uh it's possible that this whole year he's just not gonna mentally be with it. So, like, even if we get to the end of the season and he say he only scores 10 goals like i'm not how do you blame the guy right i looked at with line a you knew that was his second year in the league he scored 44 goals so he he showed you the possibility of being that game-changing kind of goal scorer that this team just doesn't have and has not had and that was my argument was we saw his ability to do that and my fear even last year was if you don't have a guy next to Provorov to elevate his game, there's a chance that it could fall apart. And it happened when Niskanen went away and it's happened again since Ellis has been hurt. And to me, it kind of reaffirms my belief that like, that is a move that probably would have behooved your organization had you made it last year. It doesn't mean that it would have worked out, but I would always rather go for the high upside there in a, in a skill that is so difficult to find. You admitted it, Bundy, admitted it. it's so hard to find goal scoring in this league. 
that versus what Provorov is on his own when he doesn't have that guy next to him holding his hand. I don't know how you go against that. I know it's an upside thing. I know it's not a guarantee, but I like the upside versus, unfortunately, what we've seen play. Yeah, out. But knowing knowing what I mean, knowing what we know now, and knowing how Line A played in Columbus last year, and, and how he's not gotten off to a good start this year, and like you mentioned, now is you know he lost his dad and he's back home in Finland. But um, I, I still think that what Provorov gives you on a night in night out basis is more valuable than what Line A has shown in the last two years. I'm not convinced Patrick line. gets back to being that 40 goal scorer. So I like, like the concerns you have on pro Robert are the concerns I have on line. And so therefore, if I had to choose between uh, an uncertainty of, a, of where my top four defense of the top pair defenseman fits, is he more of a second pair guy uh, than he is a top pair guy or uh, my top 40 goal, my top scoring winger, um, maybe not being a scoring winger at all. I'd rather have the defenseman because I think he brings more value. The upside that you would have had though, correct me if I'm wrong, is line is a free agent at the end of the season. So if you had made that move and it doesn't work yeah. out or, or you don't believe in it, either you're potentially able to buy him on the cheap ish in free agency, or you could just cut the cord altogether. And then that's one less contract that you have. It gives maybe a little bit of flexibility. We got to remember at the, at the time, Provorov wasn't signed either. Right. So yeah, I would it was kind of a foregone conclusion. He well, was but the, what I was about right, to say so. is that what I was about to say is if you made that deal, you probably were going to sign line. A. You probably oh, would have right. given, probably would have given him a contract. Or so you would have ended up in the same situation Columbus is, which is he's probably going to walk. Yeah. Right. I don't know if he's an RFA or he's a free agent or a UFA. I don't remember. I think he's probably he's an RFA. An R- if he's an RFA, well, then pro- he's probably have the right he's to match or to trade his rights. So he's, pre- he's too young to, I think, to be an uh, UFA. Got years in. Okay. Um, all right. I guess that's probably a good spot to stop today. I'm sure that we'll go to war over things again at some point in the future. But we just you have want- very conflicting views on on how we view what needs to happen for this team, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, certainly would like to hear from all of the listeners out there, Facebook, Twitter, you can send us an email, snow, the goalie at gmail.com. Let us know. Uh, I don't know what you agree with, what you disagree with. Let us know. Uh, we do have five star reviews, the things that give Anthony lifeblood in this world, five star reviews. You got two. First one comes from ballpark Franks seven flyers talk without the spin five stars. These guys speak openly about the team and organization on and off the ice without sugarcoating or spinning things to fit an agenda. Brutal honesty when needed and a realistic perspective of the product we see on ice for good and bad. Newer listener, but won't be missing this one going forward. Exactly what the fans deserve out of a Flyers podcast. 10 out of 10. Awesome. When five stars aren't enough, you double it yourself in the comments. And then that was, a good, that, was hostage, a good, that was a good review. And then Hostage Joe checks in. Now, hostage Joe. I want to be very clear that we are not holding Joe hostage. We are not. Hostage right? Joe. What are the odds that this is like a is this a Joe Biden joke that we don't know about? Is this like the whole basement Joe thing? Or is this just some guy named Joe who wants people to think he's a hostage? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But hostage Joe, let's get into it. Five stars. The only Flyers podcast is top notch. I mean, we could stop there. That's great. That's it. Snow the Goalie is a terrific podcast. The only Flyers podcast and my favorite sports podcast, period. 
Do we keep going yet? Like, this is amazing. Russ has an innate knack for hosting, entertaining, provoking, or provoking, 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 sly wit, the right cadence. Perhaps honed through years of devotion to professional wrestling, Russ knows how to play to his strengths as a weasel. Thank you. Love that. I think you wrote this. I didn't. Anthony, I read this and I was like, the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to be accused of writing it. (laughs) Anthony is knowledgeable without being boring, delivers usually, level-headed insight with occasional inside info. And he and Russ have the chemistry of an old married couple. Bickery, but the relationship works in its familiarity and you can still sense the love. (laughs) I've long been a fan of of an unmuzzled Chris Terrian and his no-holds-barred approach has made an already entertaining and insightful podcast even better. Keep up the good work, guys. Hostage Joe. Thanks, Hostage Joe. Listen, if Hostage Joe's going to keep writing like that, we might just have to keep him in captivity. I mean, sorry, we don't have Hostage Joe. We don't have him in our captivity that we know about. Although Bundy had to leave partway through the episode. Was he checking on Hostage Joe? Who knows? Yeah. I don't, I don't think Bundy was checking on Hostage Joe. We usually leave him down there for a few weeks. No, I'm just kidding. That's horrible. Shouldn't say things like that. Anyway, thank you to Hostage Joe and to... Uh, Ballpark Frank, Ballpark Frank's seven for the five star reviews. Of course, you can be just like Hostage Joe and Ballpark Frank's seven. Go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five star review. The ratings are great. We love five star ratings, but five star reviews, we'll read them on the show. Remember, you can be critical, you can be complimentary. Either way, we'll read it as long as it's five stars. You go four, three, two, or one. Nay, nay, we don't read it, but five stars, we do. And anything else you want to tell the people before we sign up? By the way, I have not listened to this, I have no idea if it's any good but I need to draw attention to it. Pablo Torre just tweeted a podcast, an ESPN daily podcast. The Arizona Cardinals and the NFL want you to forget how they stole a title in 1925 from little Pottsville, Pennsylvania. That's right. That's right. David Fleming tells the insane story of why they got hit with the oldest, strongest championship curse in sports. That's right. The Pottsville Maroons, ladies and gentlemen, look them up. 1925 NFL champions were stripped of the title. A bunch of shenanigans went down. And until that title is restored to the Pottsville Maroons, you can bet against the Cardinals. Bet against them from now until the end of time. They cannot break that curse. This is not some stupid Chicago Cubs curse. No, this one cannot be broken. You owe it to that little fantastic city in Schuylkill County up there in the coal country, give the championship back. As spoken by a true possible native. And are you aware of the 1925 NFL championship uh, scandal? Yes, I am well aware of it. Um, and I, and I used to be, I used to like the Pottsville Maroons. I used to like that story and, and felt bad for the Pottsville Maroons. Mm-hmm. Now I listen to you complain about it and it's like, screw them. Wow. Screw those guys. Wow. That's just hurtful. Hurtful. Just terrible, <laughs> terrible, awful of you. Just horrendous. Listen, someday they'll restore the title. I don't know when. It probably won't ever happen. But in the meantime, I'm going to root for it. I'm going to cross my fingers. We'll all say a prayer. Anyway, thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie. Make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Philly at CTerrian6, at Joy on Broad. You can, of course, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Snow the Goalie. 
facebook.com slash snow the goalie. You can watch just about every episode of the Bundy era and be and, and since the Bundy era started over on Crossing Broad's YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Crossing Broad. There's a playlist with all the episodes. This one will not be available in video edition as we had to do two separate recordings, splice them together. Bundy froze. Anthony yelled at me at the end of our first recording when we uh, got when we had to hit the pause because Zoom premium is not something I possess. So a lot of editing that has to go in. And if I tried to give this to video guy Craig and say, make sure you make these splices at this time, he might show up to my house and end me. So no video this week, video back again next week. So for Ant, find him on Twitter at Ant San Philly. For Bundy at Cetarian6, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again next week. Unless, who knows? Maybe the Flyers will make another firing. Probably not. Maybe a big trade. Who knows? Probably not. We don't know. But if they do, we'll be back. If not, we'll talk to you in a week. Thanks for listening.